rose again. We're going to have a great time, so do make that a priority to be here. Uh, so t- uh, today, uh, yeah, I'm going to be speaking and, uh, in a, about the conquering king, about Jesus being the king who conquers us, uh, conquers, uh, and due to that, we can find freedom from fear. But I want to take you back before I do that to a number of years ago. I was uh, helping at a, a youth camp, a kids camp in North Yorkshire. Uh, as part of the camp, I was um, assigned uh, eight 10-year-olds. And the, I was their like, tent leader. And the camp was going quite well, but they were, they were rather mischievous. They were, they, they were pushing the boundaries a little bit. And one evening, I was, I was in the main marquee, and then they, they ran in, and they said, Dan, Dan, there's something in our tent. Now, I didn't know if they were joking or not, whether they were overreacting or pulling a prank, but I went up to the tent, and I opened the door, and as I opened the door, I could clearly see there was something moving in the corner of their tent. It was dark, so I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't big enough to be one of them, pretending to be an animal, but I didn't know what it was. Um, I, the tent was dark, and I was looking in, and I had no idea, no idea what was, what was in the corner waiting for me. The longer I was there, in my mind, the bigger the animal became. When I first looked into this tent, I thought, maybe it's just a mouse. Give it a couple of minutes of darkness, and suddenly, I was imagining fighting off a bear or something like that. I got my torch. I shone the light into the tent. And, and this, it was, it was not a fox, not even a mouse. It was not a bear, not an alligator, but a squirrel. The squirrel was inside the tent, but the, the episode wasn't quite over yet because I had to get the squirrel out. And just as I was thought, oh, it's easy, it's a squirrel. As I have opened the tent, one of the other leaders said, you do know that squirrels bite. Thanks, really, really encouraging. So then... I've got shorts on. I said, what do I do? I've got tea towels. So I wrapped tea towels around my legs. I thought, if they're going to bite, at least they've got to bite through something. And I then entered, the, entered this tent with tea towels wrapped around my legs. And I heroically shepherded the squirrel to safety. Thank you. That was the, what a man I am. The darkness for me brought the unknown. The darkness brought fear. The, the squirrel was far more afraid of me than I was of it, but because of the darkness, I allow fear to control me. And, and fear is all around us. Um, it wasn't always like that because the Bible tells us as of how God made us in his image and that we were in perfect relationship with him. And I'm going to start today by looking second page of your Bible, so it's really easy for you to find. In Genesis 2, I'm going to read verses 7 to 9, and then I'm going to jump to 15. It says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed breath into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then jumping to verse 15, it says, The Lord God put the man, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God creates this incredible garden and he puts Adam and Eve into this place and, he, and they are in relationship with him. At this moment, there's no fear. 
There's no sin. There's no suffering. It's absolute perfection. But then what happens is that sin enters the world. Sin is just another way for wrongdoing. Um, Sin enters the world because Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, chose to rebel and go their own way. They eat the fruit from the only tree which God said that they're not to eat from. And then it says in Genesis 3, reading 8 to 10, just flick over a page and it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you see what happens here? Adam and Eve, they are living in a world of no fear. And then once sin arrives, the first thing that Adam feels is fear. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Fear makes Adam act in a way which he would have never previously done. And from that moment, fear is alive and active, and it is in our world. Sometimes fear can be silly, things like my camping story, but whether silly or serious, it always makes us act in a way which we would not normally. I'm not normally scared of squirrels. Fear comes, I'm wrapping tea towels around my leg. Fear makes you miss opportunities that you would normally jump at. Fear makes you so worried about what others think, even, even if they don't even know you. Fear stops you enjoying good things because something bad might be around the corner. Fear wants to restrict you. Fear wants to stop you living the life that God has called you to. Fear wants to rob you of the joy and wants to stop you enjoying life. And fear wants to lead you into other areas of sin. Now you might be thinking, well, Dana, isn't that a bit over the top? Is fear really such a big issue? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever said no to an opportunity because you didn't think you could do it? Have you ever said yes to an opportunity, but then been so distracted, feeling like it's only a matter of time before someone finds you out and you, they realize you're not who they thought you were? Have you ever changed the way you behave in front of people that you don't even know so they would like you? Have you ever not spoken up when you've had something to say or not told someone how you really feel? Have you ever found yourself worrying about the future? Fear is alive and active and it wants to break into our lives and enslave us. And so today I want to look at fear, about how we can react due to fear, about how fear can stop us living the life God has called us to, how fear can control us. But as we are approaching Easter, we've been looking at the implications of what Jesus has achieved on the cross. So I want to look at what the cross does to fear. And as I talk to you about fear, I'm going to present a different way of living, a way that I believe God wants us to live. This isn't a motivational uh, package, you just need to grab hold of a few things, wave a magic wand and fear is no more. No, the Bible tells us that we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, for our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As we talk about fear, what is really important for you to know, that today, the enemy is not the person you fear. It is not the person who has done you wrong in the past and caused you to live in fear. No, the enemy is a spiritual one, namely the devil. There are forces in this world which wants to stop you living in the freedom that God brings. If we were in a battle against flesh and blood, as it says in that verse, which it means humans, then we would just need to be strong. We would just need to equip ourselves to survive. But we are not. We are in a spiritual battle, and therefore we need a powerful victor to win that battle. 
And today, the good news is that that powerful victor has come, and he has brought victory, and he brings us freedom from fear. It's really good news. You can smile a little. Yeah? And for the rest of my message, I want to look at three areas where Jesus brings us freedom from fear. Firstly, it is freedom from what God will do. Secondly, it is freedom from what others will think. And finally, it is is, uh, freedom from fear of what death brings. So firstly, fear of what God will do. We see that Adam, his immediate reaction when he makes a mistake is to run and hide. And since that point, running and hiding seems to be quite often our method of choice when we get it wrong. Who has children who run away and hide when they make a mistake? Most children do not come up to a parent and say, sorry, I've made a mistake back there. No, they run away and hide as if, if delaying it will somehow make the punishment less. As adults, we can do the same. You can avoid the boss at work or phoning sick rather than facing up to your mistakes you've made. You can move house so the people you owe money to can't track you down. Maybe even move cities so you don't have to face up to the mess that we have created in relationships. Adam was afraid because he knew there was consequences coming. The Bible tells us that because of our mistakes, we are deserving of punishment. And the punishment is death. I can understand why Adam wanted to hide. But the problem is, is that if we believe God is angry with us and he wants to punish us, then we will react in one of two ways. Firstly, we will try and get as far away from God as possible. That might be rejecting him and walking away from faith, living your own life. But it might look like just trying to avoid God at all times, but still living as a Christian. Going to church, but never feeling intimacy with God. Having a Bible, but never opening it because you know it will challenge your behavior. Or never praying because it will demand you to change. Or the second thing we can do if we think God is angry with us is that we will try and get as close to God by working really, really hard. If God is angry with us, then we just need to work hard to get back in his good books. This is the answer for many other religions that we see. If you can add enough good works to your life, then you become acceptable again. The problem is no no amount of good works can pay off the debt that we owe. Because of our mistakes, we are deserving of death. And the only answer is found in what Jesus did on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus' death cancels the penalty for my rebellion. And that means I don't need to fear God. I don't need to hide from God. I don't need to run away from God or work hard to keep him happy. The anger of sin, the consequences have been dealt with. The punishment has been emptied out, just not on me, but on Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means that I don't have to live in fear of what God will do. Instead, I can come before God with confidence, 
knowing that we are going to be welcomed in as adopted children of God. And that's our identity today. Ali uh, Scott last week brilliantly spoke how important it is that we know that we are accepted and loved by God before we work out what God is calling us to. Brilliant. It is so important that we know who we are. Because if we don't feel that we are accepted as children of God, then we will live in fear of God. When I chose to follow Jesus, I was told I was a son of God. I did years of Sunday school. I knew all about what it was to be a child of God. And finally, I could embrace that identity. But you know, rather than embracing that truth, I treated God more like a headmaster than a loving father. That meant that when I did good things, I became proud and felt good of myself, like I was earning God's acceptance. But on the other side of it, when I messed up, I felt such shame and such guilt that I would try and hide from God. You know, when we doubt our identity in God, when we doubt that God could love us or that his love is enough, then we will live as orphans rather than sons and we will live in fear. We choose to follow Jesus. We embrace our adoption, our new identity, but so quickly we can go back to this orphan mindset. We do not feel we have this safe, secure place in the Father's heart where he will protect us, he will affirm us, he will provide for us, he will express his love for us, he will give us a place to belong. We feel that maybe God couldn't love us after all. Or maybe God couldn't love us after all the mistakes we've made. Fear creeps in and takes control. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the parable of the two sons. And in this story, one of them rebels and he walks away from God, from the father even. He, he makes a mess of his life. But he comes to his senses finally. And he decides it would be better for him to be a slave in his father's house than to continue to live the way he is. As he heads back home, his father sees him from a distance and he runs out and embraces him. He welcomes him back into the home, not as a servant, but as a son. Today, do you see God as a father who you can approach with confidence? Through the cross, we have access to that relationship with God. We have access to the relationship that Adam and Eve first had in the garden. We can trust God that he is good and he wants to do good for me. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God was willing to send his only son to the cross for me, then I can have confidence that he will continue to do good to me and he will fulfill all that he has promised. So the cross brings us freedom from the fear of what God will do. And secondly, the cross brings freedom from what others, fear of what others will think. As a young Christian, I got so tired of trying to please God. I wanted him to accept me, but I felt I had to earn it. I knew Jesus died for me, but rather than accepting grace and grace alone, I started to make it about grace and a little bit of my hard work. I would do something right in my mind, attend a prayer meeting, help at church, read my Bible, and I would feel really great. I would feel really close to God. But then I would forget to read my Bible for a week. I'd get angry, get upset with someone, and I would feel such guilt like I had messed up again, and I would feel far from God. 
Over time, I got fed up of constantly trying and realized that I could get acceptance elsewhere. That people, friends, relationships, popularity could satisfy some of those feelings of acceptance that I needed. And it led to me living this dual life. Part of the time, I would be trying to be as holy as I could, Sundays, occasional evenings. But the rest of the time, I was trying to get acceptance elsewhere. Trying to be accepted by others would take over, and I would do whatever it took to get that acceptance. And this meant that I was controlled by the fear of what others thought of me. I didn't want people to know I was a Christian because I was scared of how they would react. I wanted the best possible career so people would admire me. I would say yes to every request at church so I felt needed. On the surface, I had it all together, but under the surface, I was trying so hard to keep up my many different fronts. Trying to be accepted changed my behavior, it changed my actions, and it was all because I, was, I had given up looking for acceptance in God and instead seek the approval of man. And you know, the enemy that I spoke of earlier wants to feed us lies. You are not good enough. People won't like you if they really knew who you were. You will never fit in. And we respond our best by trying to get acceptance. And the ironic thing is the world actually labels this as freedom. The world offers us a life of competing, of striving, of desiring acceptance, love, identity, and purpose. But the Bible speaks of a different life where our love, our acceptance, our identity, our purpose is found not in jobs, not in social media, not in relationships, in money, in sex, in experiences, but it is instead found by being connected with God and being in relationship with him. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Desiring acceptance from the world is packaged up as the way to live a fulfilled life. But it only steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus comes and he offers us this different life. A life lived to the full. And he demonstrates what this life looks like while walking on earth as a man. Jesus is not controlled by others. He is not controlled by opinions or expectations. Just before Jesus is taken to the cross, he is taken before the Roman governor Pilate. He is accused of many different crimes, none of which he committed. Mark 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Jesus, at this point, he'd already been taken before the Jewish council of the priests known as the Sanhedrin. They want to charge Jesus. They want to get rid of him because he is challenging what they believe. He, they, he is challenging what they teach. But the problem is they don't have the authority to convict Jesus to the penalty, death penalty. That privilege, you can call it that, was reserved for the Roman authorities only. In order to kill Jesus, they would need Pilate, the Roman governor, to make that decision. But they knew that Pilate, he wouldn't get involved with religious affairs. So instead, they created a new charge. Not of blasphemy, of Jesus claiming he was God, which was the real reason they wanted him to be killed. But instead, the charge of Jesus claiming that he was a king. 
Therefore, it becomes this political issue. Jesus was claiming he was king, which means he is challenging the Roman king, Caesar. That way, it will be treated as treason, and he could be sentenced to death. Pilate, he knows that Jesus isn't a figure of political uprising. And therefore, he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus has a chance to answer, the chance to explain. Pilate is giving him the opportunity to walk free. He is innocent, given a way out. But Jesus doesn't defend himself, but instead replies, you have said so. This leads to other accusations, all lies about what Jesus has said and done. And in response, Jesus just stands in silence. One of the reasons I believe Jesus stands in silence is because he has total security in who he is. He wasn't trying to please people. He wasn't trying to increase his popularity. He wasn't trying to find significance in worldly things. But he knew he had security in his relationship with God the Father. So the priests, they speak lies about him, and he doesn't fight his corner because he is not relying on the things of this world and opinions of man. He stays silent. When you know what God thinks of you, then the opinions of the world fade into insignificance. When you realize that God would send his son to the cross for you, then you begin to understand how much he thinks of you. All the acceptance that you are searching for today is found in God. All the meaning of life is found in living for Jesus and being in relationship with him. When people speak ill of me, I can let it go. I don't have to fight my corner because I know what God thinks. When criticism comes, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but I'm not going to be controlled by the fear of what others think. When worldly pleasures are offered, I'm going to choose to live a holy life. When others act in a certain way, I can choose to live as Jesus instructs. And if I stand out and I get ridiculed, it is happening for his glory. The mocking is just a moment compared to eternity. It is a minor inconvenience compared to what Jesus went through on the cross for me. And when we don't, find, when we don't fear what others think, we find the freedom to live the fullness of life that Jesus offers. And finally, at the cross, we find freedom from, what, from the fear of what death brings. In the world, death is all around us, but we all put, for the majority of us, we fear it. I had the, the pleasure of working in a hospital for many years, and I, I saw the great highs of recovery, but I also saw the heartbreak of death. I worked with patients who had had heart attacks, and they were getting ready to be discharged home. And, and time and time again, I saw people who were so scared of leaving the professionals and going home in case they had another heart attack, in case something happened again. There was safety in hospital, but what if I went home and something happened? Such fear of death, and that fear is all around us. Even though death is the one thing guaranteed for us all, we still fear that moment coming. And really, it's not surprising uh, because death, that's not a surprising reaction because death, it marks the moment of judgment. The moment that we stand before God and our destination for eternity will be decided. If you don't know Jesus, then the Bible tells us that you're going to spend eternity separate from him in a place of torment. No wonder we fear death. However, through the cross, our destination for eternity changes. I want to read again a passage from Colossians. When we were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away 
nailing it to the cross. That means if you have chosen to follow Jesus, no longer is death a moment to fear. But instead, the cross, because of the cross, death becomes the doorway to your homecoming. It is the moment you see Jesus again and enjoy heaven, worshipping him in all his glory. In Luke 23, it describes the moment Jesus is on the cross and the criminal to the side of him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That is what the Christian has to look forward to. And all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Remember Adam hiding in the Garden of Eden. Well, in another garden in Gethsemane, they're looking for Jesus. The authorities are looking for him. And Jesus, rather than hiding, rather than running because of fear, he instead steps forward and embraces who he is and the task of taking our punishment on himself and going to the cross. Fear is birth with Adam. We saw that at the start. In that first garden, fear is birth. But in the second garden in Gethsemane, freedom is birth. The author of life, he hangs on a cross so that we may experience life. Out of death comes life. And because of the cross, all fear that death brings is broken. We don't look to death fearing what is to come, but we look forward with expectation, knowing that God is for us and he will do all he said he would. The cross is a victory over fear. And through Jesus, today, you can know that victory. Could the band join me? Where you are heading is eternity with God. With a God who is for you and he loves you. The perfect father. And that means that you can live in freedom today. Not fearing how God will deal with you. He's already dealt with it. Not fearing what others think of you. God is for you and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And not fearing what is to come. Death in this life is the start of eternity with Jesus. Can we stand together? And today we're going to, I want us to respond to that news of what the cross brings. The cross today brings freedom. And we're going to declare that and we're going to sing that. And over situations, over areas where you might be feeling fear at the moment. Maybe today you are fearing what God thinks of you. Today, boldly approach him again. You can be outrageously confident when you come before God. You can come before him and say... You know what, I've messed up, but I know the cross is enough. If you're fearing what others think, today as we worship, allow God to speak his truth over what he, he thinks of you. Let the acceptance come from him and not come from others. And today, if you are fearing death, as we sing, let the truth of where you are going sink into the depths of your soul. Let's worship him together. He is so worthy of our worship. He is so worthy of our praise. And he brings freedom to all fear.
Yeah.